All right, here we go on a Monday. Ted, Tyler, and Jared running the show. Good morning to everybody. Where's Tom Brady? Where's he's Tom on Brady? the paper. Why is he? <laughs> yes, he's on the front of the paper with a superimposed Raider uniform on, and Derek Carr is waking up to see that, and he's not very happy. Did you guys run that again? You should have Oh, my again. God. We should have run that like a 3 by 12 photo of Tom Brady with the uh, Raiders helmet on so Derek Carr could say, I woke up and looked at the paper. Not that he looks at anything like that. Never. 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 You know, uh, if Tom Brady had come here, Devontae Adams' little comment about Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer would have been accurate. Yeah, it would have been good. I think I think Tom Brady suffices. Yeah. I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe. Think, as long as he doesn't do something ridiculous. Like, yeah, well, he has been gone for a while from the Buccaneers. That's right. Know. Mass Singer? Uh, I don't know. That keeps being thrown out there. What a great rumor. Supposedly he's back today. So if he is, he got eliminated, didn't he? Oh, got eliminated. Well, don't they what? just do it? Isn't it just a one-episode thing? Is that all? You just go on, you wear I this big costume, no, I've and then never. they guess at the end? The only or do you close continue to, to go? The closest I've seen are previews to it. I've never watched it. I think you have to, like, I, I think that there's, like, multiple levels of it, and if they guess correctly, then you reveal yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. I've never watched it, but how... If Man. you're a mass singer expert, please text us yeah. at 69187 <laughs> on the Finley Kia text line. Uh, preface your message with ESPN. The first bite. Sorry, before we get to the first bite, how badly would it piss you off that that guy also can sing? Yes. Well, he got eliminated yes. quickly. So oh, okay. But if, if he can sing also, then I'm just like, you know what? Life wasn't, wasn't for me. <laughs> Did John Gruden stop Tom Brady from becoming a Raider? All right. I don't know about you, but I completely believe Dana White. All right. I, I believe this story 100%. So if you missed it, uh, Dana White was on something called the Gronk cast. Before of, the fights. Of the UFC fights yesterday. and Or Saturday. Saturday. And Rob Gronkowski basically asked Dana White, hey, why don't you tell the story about why I'm not a Raider, why I'm not in Vegas. And Dana White's story was basically that he, Dana White, brokered the deal, set up the deal for Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski to come and play for the Raiders. Dana White said it was almost a done deal. His evidence was Tom Brady was looking at houses. Uh, that it was almost a done deal. But John Gruden quote, blew up the deal. John Gruden at the last minute stepped in and stopped Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski from becoming, a lot, both of them becoming Las Vegas yeah. Raiders. So they really were rolling with that mother bleeper. I, so you completely believe it. I believe the story. I think it's funny because Dana White has absolutely no... Uh, uh, ability to broker deals. Right. In the so NFL. So that's my he main barely has ability to broker deals in the UFC. I mean, he has no idea. I believe he's very close to Tom Brady. First of all, Gronkowski was with the Patriots and he had to be traded to the Buccaneers. So I don't know how that part was brokered. Right. But I do believe he had convinced Brady to come to Las Vegas. Uh, I, I, I believe that part. And, and Gronk, I believe it a lot because he, even though it is Gronk, Gronk said, tell the story. So okay. it wasn't just Dana White saying, right. by the way, I've got this story I'm going to tell you. So I, the part of this that I'm fascinated by is Dana White. Oh, that's the best part. Rob Gronkowski. Because I would not view those two generally as like credible sources for NFL free agent deals. Right. Even one that involves Gronk. I don't know that I would view him as a credible source for his own then, free agent deal. Then. Right? I don't know that I would. And he wasn't a free agent at the time. But... 
the part I can't get past is why Dana White presented this story as I set up the deal. Because that's the part that makes me wonder, well, what what does that mean, Dana White? Did he just tell Tom Brady, hey, you should come play for the Raiders? And Brady thought, that's a good idea. And then Gruden just said, no, thank you. Or was this like they had agreed to a contract? They had agreed to how much they were going to pay Tom Brady, and Gruden vetoed it then. Like, I, that's the part I don't get when Dana White says, I agree. Because that would be... That would be Mark Davis slash Mike Mayock and John Gruden talking to Tom Brady and his agent, right? That wouldn't be. Why would that Dana would be, White but be a I think man? I think the part I believe is that Dana White was close enough to Tom Brady that he had convinced him come to the Raiders, and Tom Brady said, "Okay, I'll come to the Raiders," and perhaps was looking at housing, like Dana White said. Obviously, when it got to the contract and really broken the deal, it had to gone to Gruden and Mayock. Now, did <laughs> Dana, Dana White, White call Gruden? The <laughs> did, Dana, did Dana White call Gruden and say, hey, you know, he's coming? Did he tell Mark Davis and Dana White are pretty close as well? Did he tell Mark Davis, hey, you know, he's going to come? All you have to do is get a contract done. Like, I could see him I could see him telling Davis that. I don't know how close D- Dana White was with Gruden. He's, he, he and Davis are right. close. So, Johnny, I got a guy. <laughs> You're really going to like him. He's a pretty good quarterback. <laughs> like, what I, the part of the, the, the entire John Gruden era, was Mark Davis hiring the guy that he wanted for so many years and then giving him full control. So if there was ever a legitimate chance that Tom Brady was going to be a Las Vegas Raider, John Gruden would have had to say yes. Absolutely. So That's why I'm saying I think Mark Davis might have loved the idea, but John Gruden, who he had given complete autonomy to, did not. So, But if Dana White... If he just called up Mark Davis and said, hey, I've convinced Tom Brady to be a Raider, Mark Davis probably like, wait a minute, you did that? But then I assume Mark Davis immediately calls John, John Gruden. Gruden. And if John Gruden was not on board at the start and says, no, thank you, then that would not be considered a done deal, as Dana White said. That would just be Dana White saying, hey, Tom wanted to go. That Now, maybe... There was a done deal. Maybe there was a contract that was ready to be signed, and John Gruden changed his mind at the last minute or something like that. Maybe, but John Gruden had full autonomy to do whatever he wanted, and the idea that this would have been a done deal without his approval is stupid because no, he would have had to agree, and I don't even know if Mayock would have had to agree because Gruden (laughs) ran that organization, and Mayock probably just agreed with him on most things. Um, I again, I'll go back to Dana White is close to two people in this scenario. He's close to Tom Brady. And he's close to Mark Davis. So if Dana White, uh, if Tom Brady told Dana White, I'm coming, let's get, you know, I'll get my agent with Gruden or whoever to do the contract. You've convinced me that Vegas is a place to be. I believe that. I believe that Dana White might have had conversations with uh, Davis. Say, hey, I've got him on board. You know, tell Gruden because I don't know if Dana White even knew Gruden. I don't, I don't know what relationship was there. So I could see, like you said, I could see Davis telling Gruden, hey, you know, Dana has Dana has convinced him to come. What do you think? Uh, I mean, the whole thing with Dana White is the best part of this right. entire story. The this, new NFL middleman, Dana, yeah, White, Dana White, says Tom Brady's coming. Yeah. Maybe that's why John Gruden said no. He was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> Dana White is not the one that broke Did John Gruden deal. have to say who's Dana White? <laughs> Probably. So if we, let's assume it's true, and John Gruden did veto this deal, why do you think he did? I think he and Mayak chose Carr. I think they chose him. I think they. I. Yeah, I think a... they. I know. I know. I just think that they chose Carr. So if you're Mark Davis, and you love John Gruden, the second that he says, 
no, thank you. I don't want Tom Brady because I'm choosing Derek Carr. You keep him as your head coach. I think I think he loved Gruden enough to where yeah he would. Keep I him. think he did too. What he, you do is you wait until like some problematic emails leak, let him pl- coach another game, and that's when you get rid of him. <laughs> because but here's the other part: like this happened going before John Gruden's uh, second season, right? Yes. So yes. you're looking at a team that he says I chose Derek Carr, and then they went seven and nine, while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the, won Super, the Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. If you're Mark Davis, don't you fire John Gruden after that? Like, that's one of the clearest examples of, hey, buddy, you made the wrong choice. That's what we think. But again, he gave him a 10-year contract, and maybe he would have been upset with it, but I don't think he would have fired him. I think the only thing that got him fired was something as egregious as the emails. I mean, I I, I I just don't think he would have fired him. Is it possible that John Gruden didn't pick Derek Carr, but John Gruden picked himself? That John Gruden was worried... That if I bring in Tom Brady and we win, he's getting the credit. I'm not getting the credit. I mean, I know his ego was big, but I hope it wasn't that big. Did he look at Brady? Did he look at Brady? Because, look, I mean, no one knew Brady was going to go to Tampa Bay and win the Super Bowl. He obviously proved everyone wrong. Did he look at Brady? And at that point, 43? I think it was 42 or 43? And just with what happened in New England with that Tennessee game, did he think Brady was done? And he picked Carr over him because of that. Because no one, I'm sorry, no one predicted he was going to Tampa Bay and win the Super Bowl. Right. No he, one did that. He was not as good his last that Tennessee year game, or two he was years not good. In, in New England. No. And then went to Tampa and was all of a sudden back to being a top right. five quarterback and has been for two seasons now. It's Derek Carr, though, right? Like, I, yes, well, I, know. I, I think 100% you could look at it and say, oh, Tom Brady's not quite um, Tom Brady. who he wasn't anymore at 43. I, I completely understand that. But it's not like they were sitting on their own top five quarterback. Like, I would understand if you were the Chiefs and you're like, well, we've got Patrick Mahomes, right? Or if right now it happened and you were the Chargers and you're like, well, we've got Justin Herbert. Or the Bengals, we're like, we've got Joe yeah. Burrow. Those guys are young and probably going to be top five quarterbacks for the next decade. But Derek Carr has never been that. Derek Carr will never be that. And I just can't imagine John Gruden saying, you know what? I'm going to pass on Tom Brady because I've got this 12th best quarterback in the league. See, I think I could see it because I think John Gruden thought he was going to make him into that. Because I think John Gruden's ego is such that when he's under me, so, this is what he's going to so be. So it was his ego, just in a different way. In a different way. Saying, I, think, I think he thought he was going to make Derek Carr into... A, a, you know, an excellent quarterback, and he's a good quarterback. Let's not forget that he's a good quarterback. But I think Gruden's ego was such that he and Mayock both thought we can win with this guy. He's good enough, and we're going to make him better than he's been. Uh, I need to give a shout out to Rob Gronkowski. God, what a hero! Just throwing a grenade at Dana White on a UFC fight like this has nothing telecast, to do with yeah. it, and he's just like, "Hey, Dana." Tell, tell that story, story about why I'm not a Raider. And Dana, he clearly did he, not want to tell the story. Does anyone else realize that the, the Review Journal would have had to have a guy who was just like, yeah, no, no, you're not covering Gronk at practice. Whatever he does after he leaves, that's your who, new lifestyle who would, who call. Would the, yeah, who would have been on the Gronk beat? Would Adam Hill have been on I the Gronk well, I'll give. I'll tell you what, though. Uh... For Adam, I'll give a shout out because Adam wrote this at the time. He wrote Dana yeah. White said this. He wrote he tweeted it that this was this was uh, a real occurrence that Dana White had. I don't know if he said brokered, but Dana White had um, worked with Tom Brady to bring him here. So uh, 
victory lap for him because he he wrote this story and Carr completely denied it and Carr got mad at it. Um, and now, you know, now a couple years later, <laughs> we see who was right. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with more on Tom Brady and Dana White and Mark Davis because I think Mark Davis might have lied about this whole situation. With the 139 to go here in the fourth from the right hash. Ferguson to snap. Orsted to hold. The kick is up. Approaching the upright. And it's no good. He doinked it off the top of the left upright. And the Raiders defense gets a stop and holds on to a 15-13 lead with 1.34 to go here in the game. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Breaking quarterback news with the Raiders. Nick Mullins was traded to the Vikings for a conditional seventh round pick, which I assume is going to mean if he's on the roster, they get a seventh rounder. So he might've gotten traded for nothing if the Vikings cut him. Yeah. He'd probably be the backup to Kirk cousins. Uh, potentially there. The Vikings did uh, use a draft pick on Kellen Mond. Uh, and they have Sean Mannion there as well. So he's got to be a Sean Mannion. Yeah. Would be uh, my guess if, uh, is what the Vikings plan is now. Back on the Tom Brady, Dana White, Rob Gronkowski, Mark Davis story here. Our own Ed Graney and Adam Hill, uh, you guys talked to Mark Davis, asked him about this Dana White story, and here was Mark Davis's comments. I heard about White's comments. That was that. That was what? Two to three years ago or something? I don't know, man. Talk to Dana. I remember that Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay. That's basically what I remember. I have no idea. Dana has the stories. I love Dana. He's a great, great promoter. Why would this make me upset? I was busy watching the Raiders and the basketball game Saturday. Is there any way Mark Davis forgot? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I I mean, forgot everything. I'm not so sure forgot, forgot everything. The details of it, two to three years later, with all that's gone on with his organization... Uh, there might be a way that he forgot details of it. He probably remembered that there was some there was some dealings with Tom Brady and and maybe even Dana White. But yeah, I could see him not remembering the details. I take him, you know, that look. That's what he told me. Um, I, I, you know, those were the quotes. And now you have to make your own determination whether or not he he you believe or not. That's if this if if this was as Dana White said, a done deal, but John Gruden vetoed it. There is no way Mark Davis forgot. I don't believe that. Now, if this was a, hey, Dana White called me and said Tom Brady might be interested in playing for the Raiders, and that's where everything stopped, then I could believe that he doesn't remember. And it could be that. Right. We don't know. But if Dana White's story is true, when Dana White says it was a done deal, but he brokered it. Yeah, and he brokered it. But Gruden vetoed it. There is no way. Mark Davis forgot that. There's no way he forgot. And I remember four years ago, a fantasy football trade that got vetoed in my league. Well, let's not put you in the realm of people who forget things for weirdness. Like, uh, the, you know, the, because I'm sure it, it this I'm, is Tom I'm sure Brady. It, I'm sure it affected you in a negative way. He still was like mad at Taysom Hill for things that happened yeah, in fantasy exactly, like exactly. five so, years ago. That was like two years ago. Let's calm down here. <laughs> There's zero if if it's if, as if. Dana White said. There's zero chance he forgot this. If it's like that, right? Because the way Dana White is presenting this story leads us to believe Mark Davis was on board with it. That Mark Davis was okay 
with Tom Brady being their quarterback and that it was John Gruden at the last minute slapping the pen out of somebody's hand to say, don't sign that. And I refuse to believe that Raiders superfan Mark Davis forgot that. Did you see, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it here. Good radio. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to find where, uh, um, Dana White's last comments in that story was when his last sentence was, I'm sure Mark Davis is happy with this story. Yes. Is happy hearing this. I, I'm yeah. sure he's happy hearing this. Right. Which, okay. And here, here's the other part of this. When we try to figure out what we believe is true, Mark Davis saying he doesn't remember makes me believe it even more because here's, here's my thought process on why Mark Davis would come out and say, Oh, I forgot. He doesn't want to get in some public argument with Dana White. He doesn't want to call Dana White a liar. And he also doesn't want to confirm, oh yeah, my organization passed on the guy that won the Super Bowl in the offseason that we passed on him. So how does he do that? How does he do both of those things? He says, well, I don't remember. I don't remember if we were getting Tom Brady. How, how could you expect me to remember things from two or three years ago? That's ridiculous to assume. So that makes me believe it even more because I don't think he wants to be publicly calling Dana White a liar. I don't think he wants to come I out think and say... I think they're too close for right. that. He doesn't want to come out and say, oh, Dana made all that up. That's not true. That never happened, right? I also don't think he wants to get into an argument with Dana White because if he said that, then Dana White would probably come back out oh, yeah. today. See, that's and, what you don't want to get into. You right. don't want to get into... We've already had two strip across the top headlines. Yeah. You don't want a third. Da- I mean, Dana White's just going to get you know, the back and forth and... I think Davis would end it eventually. I don't think he. I just don't think he'd get into a public spat with him. And Dana I don't White think he should. Would pull a Jock Peterson and come out and be like, "Here's the text messages. Do you want to look through them?" And be like, "Here's the proof." But Mark Davis saying, the Las Vegas "I Review Journal." <laughs> Dana White or Mark Davis saying, "I don't remember. I forgot." Kind of ends it because now what? Dana White's not going to. Dana White's not going to yell at Mark Davis for saying, oh, I forgot what happened. No, right? in fact, they're probably on the phone laughing about right. it. But if Mark Davis had said, oh, he's a liar, that didn't happen, then Dana White probably says something, yeah. right? He probably comes out and says, I'm not a liar. Like, well, Ezigo wouldn't, wouldn't allow him not to. Right. So I think, to me, that's my the most logical thought process as to why Mark Davis would say, I forgot. Because I don't believe he simply forgot. Because I'll be honest with you. I think if Dana White called Mark Davis and said, hey, Tom Brady has an interest in playing for you, and that was it. That was the end of it. I think Mark Davis would remember that, too, to be completely honest. I think two or three years ago, somebody calls you and says, Tom Brady wants to play for your organization. You don't forget that. How like why? How would you forget that? That, to me, just doesn't make much sense to me. So I think Mark Davis saying he forgot makes me believe Dana White even more. I mean, I look, I told you from the very beginning off the top, I believe the story. <laughs> Um, I think it's great that Dana White said he brokered the deal when he has absolutely no power to do so. He has no power at all to broker any deals with NFL players. Um, I, I, I'll reiterate what I said. I think that Brady, Dana White was under the assumption, whether Brady told him directly or not, that Brady was going to come if a contract could be worked out. I think it got to the level of – and, and I, I, I would not be surprised if Dana White told Mark Davis this because they are close. You know, hey, I've got this guy. He says he's going to come. And whether it was Mark Davis or, you know, Brady's agent, whoever brought it to John Gruden, John Gruden ultimately was the one that said no. So another important story on this or fun part of this, if you remember, uh, I believe this was after Brady won the Super Bowl. He was on HBO, one of HBO's shows, and he gave the comment 
saying one of the teams, they were interested at the very end. And I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother bleeper. Um, There's been a lot of speculation as to who that quarterback was. It has to be Derek Carr, Well, if all of this is true... It has to be. Then it has to be Derek Carr. Because, again, the way Dana White presented this is that John Gruden, after the contract was, like, drawn up, walked in and said, no, we're not doing this. And if that's the case, the Raiders were interested until the very end, and Derek Carr is the quarterback that John Gruden stuck with. There's a chance John Gruden legitimately said, I'm taking Derek Carr over Tom Brady. I think he... I think he did say right. that. Right. And so that would make Derek Carr that mother bleeper yeah. that Tom Brady referred yeah. to that nobody has actually figured out yet. There's been some rumors. It Was it Ryan Fitzpatrick at the Dolphins? Was it Jimmy Garoppolo at the 49ers? Was it Derek Carr with the Raiders? And based on this story, if you, you believe the story, Derek Carr with the Raiders. If you believe the story, then it would be Derek Carr with the Raiders who flatly denied it. And as he should. I mean, as he should deny it, that he was the guy and that yeah. he had been told he well, was the guy. I mean, D- Derek Carr, didn't he give the comment that he talked to Tom Brady and Brady said, no, you're not that mother bleeper? <laughs> I don't remember that he talked to Tom Brady, to but he talked up, to somebody. I, okay, you're right. He, he might he have not been somebody. Brady. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he gave a comment. And he that, said he that, was convinced by talking to the person that right. he was not the guy. <laughs> you think he's convinced now? He talked to John Gruden. <laughs> <laughs> and John Gruden convinced him, oh, no, 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 he wasn't talking about you. So another important question for you. We hear all the time about, like, athletes and chip on the shoulder and all that. Tom Brady, again, end of his time in New England, wasn't Tom Brady anymore. No. Is there a chance that John Gruden picking Derek Carr put a chip on Tom Brady's shoulder, and that's why he went on to win the Super Bowl? I... It was really good. I think and Tom then, Brady was just really good on a really good team. He I had need, six titles at that point. I need a mic'd up Tom Brady during that season after completing passes saying, Derek Carr can't do that. Right. I just want the entire season he's motivated I, by Derek Carr being better I'd than be him. very disappointed in Tom Brady if he was motivated <laughs> by anything to do with Derek Carr. Listen, athletes find it from the strangest places. Alabama players go into games saying nobody picked us to win. How the hell does that happen? They've been favored in all but one game in like for like 20 years. That would have meant that, and if he was looking for houses, maybe it was true, that would have meant that he desperately wanted to play here. I mean, if it was just, hey, Dana, my buddy wants me to play here, maybe I'll come play here, that's one thing. If he desperately wanted to play here and they picked Derek Carr, maybe he was like that, maybe Derek Carr was his motivation. I'll, I'll give you one last uh, potential part of this story. What if Mark Davis denied it because Tom Brady was demanding a part of the team like he was going to get like from the Dolphins? Like he's getting in Miami? Why wouldn't you? If you're Tom Brady, why wouldn't you start asking for part ownership from every team you could play for? All right, coming up next, Mike Ramallah joins the show. Keyshawn front court. He'll oh. shoot a three. Got Everyone. knocked down and a chance for a four-point play as he made the three, Sabaliaskas, with the foul. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Mike Gramala. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Could we, uh, any chance we could just keep talking about Tom Brady and the Raiders? For <laughs> so, the rest of the uh-huh, that's do your you, guy. Do you believe Dana White? Of course. Why would he, ha- why would he lie? <laughs> why would he make that up? It's, Whole cloth. It's, like, of course, there's something to it. Well, Okay, it's not that you, it's not necessarily that you believe Dana White is lying. It's do you believe that Dana White has an inflated sense of himself 
and that he was actually this involved and got this deal to the finish line before John Gruden slapped the pen out of somebody's hand, or that he just called Tom Brady one day and say, Hey, how would you like to play for the Raiders? And that was the end of the conversation. I believe that Tom Brady has an agent who handles all, you know, whether he, you know, signs with the Raiders or not. But I do believe that Dana White is, if Tom Brady and Mark Davis are both in Las Vegas at the same time, Dana White is someone who can say, oh, hey, Tom, uh, do you want to meet Mark? I know you're interested in the Raiders. Let me introduce you in person. But the, the, the one thing I would pinpoint is the, quote, almost a done deal. That's the part that uh, is carrying a lot of weight with that story. But it's, it is a very fun story to talk about. Would you have picked Derek Carr over Tom Brady in 2020? Uh, Tom Brady threw 50 touchdowns that year and won the Super Bowl. So I don't think that's, I mean, anyone who says that they wouldn't take Tom Brady that season is, uh, does not have the best interest of the Raiders at heart. I would say. Did you think that Gruden saw that Tennessee game and possibly thought 42, 43, I'm going to take my guy because they went out of their way, Mayock and Gruden the entire time they were there to praise Derek Carr and say, no, he's our guy. I think that if, Anything Gruden just has a tendency to or had a tendency to just fall in love with his quarterbacks. Um, I think he probably thought that he could win with Derek Carr and that go, you know, acquiring Tom Brady is a franchise-changing move that he didn't want to make at the time because you have to change so much. If you're, if you're going to get Tom Brady, that's not kind of a single transaction kind of move. That's something that changes your entire organization, which I don't think he was up for at the time. Uh, was that Lucas in the background? Uh, no, that's in our our dog next door. We are oh, just wrapping oh, wow. up a walk. We're walking into the house right now. Okay. Oh, look at that. Right. Multitasking Mike Romalo, walking the dog and talking to us. Um, do you believe Mark Davis when he says he forgot what happened that offseason because it was two or three years ago? No, no. I, I heard you recite that quote, and I, I was surprised that you were actually, like, treating it at face value. That's just Mark Davis just kind of stammering out a, non, a non-denial denial. Like, he's not – of course he wouldn't forget that. Like, that's just him saying, oh, uh, I don't remember. I don't want to talk about it, so I don't remember. That's all That's all that was. Um, of course, if Tom Brady's agent calls you and says, like, hey, you know, we're thinking about – you know, we're free agents and we're thinking about Las Vegas, what do you think? Of course Mark Davis would remember that. I'm not so sure it's two to three years. Ed thinks everybody has a terrible memory and would forget Tom Brady calling. <laughs> I think Tom Brady, I think has, I'm, I, Tom Brady I mean, has played for 20 years, and we still remember stuff from, you know, his first year in the league. So I mean, like, people's memories are longer than two years, especially when you're directly involved with something. Yeah, I'm also going to agree with Tyler here that if he, well, he said what he said. He, I, I'm the one who called him, and he said what he said. But also. He doesn't want to get in a public spat with Dana White. Uh, they're very close, and again, you deny or you uh, you go back and deny it, and then Dana White comes back, and then it, it just becomes kind of a scene at that point. Yeah, that's just Mark Davis kind of saying, like, "Hey, this I don't want to. I don't want something from two years ago to affect this year's team. I don't want right. to make Derek Carr mad. I don't want. So let's just forget that happened. It was a long time ago. It's water under the bridge, guys. Who cares about <laughs> Tom Brady now? That's basically what he was saying." All right, here's a, qu- a basketball question for you. How big of a deal is it that they lost to the University of British Columbia? It's a it's a huge deal. That's I mean, it's the the biggest single only takeaway from that trip. Basically, is number one, they lost. They went up there and they lost the game. And you can say what you will about the the surrounding uh, circumstances, but. 
that's a team you should be able to roll off the bus, play around for uh, 30 minutes, and still destroy them by 20. Like, that's you should have no problems up there with that team. And if you lose that game, what it tells me is your talent level is not high enough to be able to do that. So we saw them play better in the next two games, and they were a little more on point, but that would be my biggest takeaway. This is not a team that's going to out-talent anyone this year. Uh, the big deal going in was they're going to be so good defensively. Was that at times the most disappointing part? Yeah. I mean, there were some clips of them just not playing defense, um, being disinterested, being out of shape, just getting taken off the dribble, especially in that first game. They could not stay in front of anyone. And these are not Mountain West caliber opponents that they're going against. This is Canada West guys. And... (laughs) If you can't stay in front of them, you have you have no shot of winning in the Mountain West. So, you know, they, they did play better in the second and third games. But, yeah, the defense was, for me, the, the biggest uh, disappointment in the, the game that they lost. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed that in your story after they lost the first game, you compared them to Marvin Menzies' first team. Yeah, I mean, that team also lost a one of these guaranteed win exhibition games. And... I, I I draw a parallel not to the team is not going to be you know six and twenty four or whatever that Menzies team was, but the same issue is is there and that's they're not talented enough to win those games. You're you're you should be if you're UNLV the talent level should be so much in your favor that you could play your worst and British Columbia could play their best and that's still a double digit win, and that wasn't the case. So what that tells me is if UNLV doesn't play well, they can lose to anyone. They can lose to literally anyone. And that's, that's sort of why I was comparing them to that. I would also compare them to the, the Dave Rice team that played an exhibition game, not a, a summer exhibition, but a preseason exhibition against Dixie State and lost that game. And people sort of tried to whistle through, uh, past the graveyard and say, oh, well, it's just, a, it's just an exhibition. It doesn't mean much. You know? But then we saw it bear out during the season that there were real issues on that team as well. So it's not everything. They are exhibitions for a reason. But they tell you... They tell you something, and they for me it told me that this team is going to have to play really well, and they're going to have to be on point every night, and if they slip up at all, anyone can get them. San Jose State can get them. Air Force can get them. So they've really got to be on point and be mentally tough throughout the entire season. So is Jackie Johnson the answer to the offensive woes? He looked like it. Uh, he was their leading scorer up there. At times he was the only guy who was making something happen. We saw a lot of just passing around the perimeter, Saw a lot of settling for three-point shots. Kevin Kruger wants them to be a three-point shooting team. He wants that to be the, the, the center of the offense is the three-point shot. But he wants them to put the defense in rotation, kick it out like all coaches do. And he wants open three-pointers in rhythm. They weren't really getting that. Jackie Johnson is one guy who can put the ball on the floor, beat his man, force the defense to rotate, open up those kickouts to three-pointers. So, yeah, Jackie Johnson, not a guy who – uh, maybe it's going to depend how much, how much he can defend. He's a small guy. He's listed at, you know, f- sub six feet. He's probably like five, nine in real life. Can he play the kind of defense that Kruger wants him to play? But I think at some point you've got to make that, that trade off where if he's the only guy who can create off the dribble, you got to live with some defensive lapses. But yeah, he was, he's one guy who can probably come back and say like, Hey, I, I had a good trip. Not many guys can say that, but Jackie Johnson is up there. How bad is their non-conference schedule? Their non-conference schedule, uh, 
I was surprised. Kevin Kruger, during the summer, while the, he was putting the schedule together, said that it was going to be an NCAA tournament schedule. Or that was his goal anyways. And to me, that means a schedule that, you know, you've got a lot of quality opponents. You build a strong resume in the, in the, uh, before the conference season begins. And that's sort of your, your way to get an at-large bid. Now, it's not, it's not so bad that it precludes them from an at-large bid. I mean, we saw Wyoming last year. You can play cupcakes, but then you've got to win them all. Like UNLV's got 12 non-conference games. They've pretty much got to go 11-1. and one. If you lose more than one of those games, you're going to be looking pretty bad coming into conference play. And then the other problem is their non-conference schedule is not going to get them ready for the Mountain West. I don't think <laughs> they play, they play six teams that are, you know, outside the top 200 of Ken Palm, at least by last year. I mean, those teams, I guess, could make a, a meteoric rise and be quality teams this year, but probably not. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough to go from playing incarnate word one week to like seven days later, you're playing Wyoming or you're playing Colorado state. So yeah, I don't, I think it really makes them walk the tightrope in terms of, for a team that is developing, as we saw in Canada, they're not ready for a prime time just yet, but now you're giving them a non-conference schedule where they've got to win every single game. And then when the Mountain West comes around, are they going to be ready for that, that style of play, that level of competition? I don't know. Uh, I didn't think that the, I don't think the non-conference schedule is going to give them that. Are you still convinced come Saturday, Doug Brumfield starts? I don't know. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got their, their weekly press conferences today with Marcus Arroyo. That's this afternoon. Is he going to give us anything in no. the press conference? No. Well, I mean, camp is over. They've had a couple of days since the end of training camp to, like, you know, look at all the video. The coaches can confer. They can make their decisions. You don't think they've made up their mind yet? I still think you get an or on the depth chart. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll fight up more. I, I do think it is going to be Brumfield. I, he, he was the number one for all of training camp. I don't think he did anything to lose the job. And I didn't see anything from Harrison Bailey, especially to, you know, claw the job away from Doug Brumfield. Like, Bailey was all right. He was good. He was about the same. They were all about the same. So I, I, don't, I didn't see enough to be like for those guys to shuffle that position on the depth chart. So I will say Doug Brumfield still for week one. All right, before we let you go, because it'll be the last time we talk to you before the season kicks off, uh, what's your win prediction for UNLV? How many did they get? I'm going to say four. Four. Four and eight. All right, he's okay. Mike Kermala from the Las Vegas Sun, finished walking his dog. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Uh, we'll have to do that later in the week, by the way, our final predictions of the summer as to their win totals. Because UNLV plays on Saturday. They play yeah. in week zero. It's game week, man. It's yeah. game week. It's important. Um, all right, coming up next. We'll jump into some Las Vegas Aces because they are on to the semifinals. There's Gray for three. Boom, shaka, laka, laka, boom. Chelsea Gray pushes the lead to 22. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. The Las Vegas Aces beat the Phoenix Mercury 117 to 80, and that score is kind to the Phoenix Mercury from game two. So the Aces swept and will advance to the semifinals where they will play Seattle, who swept the Washington Mystics. Um, Ed, you were at this game, right? I was at this game. What was your biggest takeaway from the Aces dismantling the Phoenix Mercury? 
uh, how many threes the bench made. <laughs> they played the entire fourth quarter. They kept jacking in threes. I was like, my <laughs> goodness, where have they been all year? I thought the bench wasn't any good. Well, Phoenix isn't any good. So. No, they're horrible. Well, they were, they didn't have anyone, so yes, let's, they, let's, their roster was, their roster as was depleted completely depleted as possible. Yes. Uh, so the Aces in that game, they set a WNBA record by making their first 10 shots from the field. That had never been done in a playoff game. They set a WNBA record for threes made in a postseason game. They went 23 of 36 from three-point range. They made eight in the first quarter alone. They were 11 of 17 at halftime, and then they hit 12 in the second half. The Aces, as you said, pulled their starters late in the third quarter, meaning you got a full quarter of garbage time, a full quarter of the bench playing each other, which is just unbelievable. So did that mean anything? Like, was there any takeaway from you for the future in the postseason for the Aces, or was that a this Phoenix Mercury team is so depleted and so bad that it doesn't mean much at all. Well, I mean, the impressive, when you shoot, when you make 23 threes, no matter who you're playing, that's really impressive, but they're not going to do that again. Um, I think it was more, I think it was more Phoenix. Um, I, you have here, can the aces outscore their way to a title? I don't know if they can. I think at some point you're going to have to defend somebody probably in the next round against Seattle. I don't think you could just count on. You're not making 23 threes again. You're not making your ten, first 10 shots again. You're not doing that again. So at some point they're going to have to defend somebody. So let me ask you this, and not the 23 threes and not the first 10 made shots, but the 117 points, right? Yes. They, can they do that again just once in the next round? I don't believe so. You don't think they can do that again? No. Okay. 117. So I think that game is a perfect example and a perfect reason why this organization moved on from Bill Lambier Lambier. to Becky Hammond. Mm -hmm. There was never a game where Bill Lambier's team was shooting 36 three-pointers. And therefore, there was never a game where they were making 23. I mean, hell, they made eight in the first quarter. There were games the Aces did not shoot eight three-pointers in entire games under Bill Lambier. Lambier tenure. Right. So that type of blowout, wasn't possible under Lambeer. When the Aces blew teams out under Lambeer, it's because the defense gave up 52 points, right? This year's team blows out the opponent because, oh, we scored 117. And it doesn't matter how good you are on offense. We put up 117. And I think, to me, the key here isn't that they're going to do that. Uh, what do they need? Six more wins to be the WNBA champions? Yes. They're not, not going to do that six more times, right? But can they do it once against Seattle? Can they do it once in the WNBA Finals? And basically, take a game off the series, right? And just, you win that game because you were so well, you good offensively. 117, you're going right. to win. You were so good offensively that it was irrelevant what the other team did. And I think they can. I think they can have a game in each series where they are so good offensively that they, they win the game no matter what. And you basically make it a, hey, just need to go two and two in the other four games. Yeah. Under Lambeer, that wasn't happening. Under Lambeer, they had to be great defensively to win every game. It just it just wasn't going to happen. To me, that's the big difference. They yeah. can do that. And will it be that good again? Probably not. But can they be close to that good? Probably. And if that's the case, the Aces are basically taking a game away from any series they play in because they can do that. Yeah, yeah I mean... Th- I don't think they'll go 117 again, but you're right. I mean, I, they can get to 100, right. um, and if you get to 100, you're probably winning the game. Right. They, I think they lost one during the regular season, like 109 to 107, and it right. was like, how bad are you defensively right. that you put up 107 and still lost? Which and They again, went 3-1 against Seattle in the regular season. Yeah, and they, they had a good record against Seattle. They played well against Seattle. They won two games in the final week of the season right, against, against Seattle. Seattle. So they, those are recent matchups, too. 
I, I think they're going to beat Seattle. I, I really do. Uh, obviously, Brianna Stewart has been one of the players that have given them problems in the postseason. But that was, again, to compare it to Lambeer, that was a Lambeer team that was putting two bigs on the floor at all times. They were playing Cam Beige and Asia Wilson uh, together. That that was the type of team that Lambeer would put out there. And Brianna Stewart was hard to guard. Now, the Aces may or may not have De'Erica Hamby, who is probably their best defensive matchup for Brianna Stewart. But even without her, it's still a team better equipped. And again, on the offensive end, better equipped to shoot with Brianna Stewart. If Brianna Stewart has a game where she's exposing you, right, where it's like, oh, they're having a hard time guarding her and she's knocking down shots, this team has the chance to also knock down those shots and stay with Seattle. Whereas under Lambeer, if Brianna Stewart went off, the, the Aces could not score enough. They, they well, they couldn't offensively yeah. just said, Brianna, Brianna Stewart, you get yours. Right. So I, I think... I think this team is beating Seattle. I'll be curious to see who they play in the finals. Well, Chicago still has to go to New York and win. That's right. They did, how bad did they beat New York yeah. in their second Probably game? Probably 40, but they <laughs> still have to go to New York and win because yeah. they lost the first game. Which is, uh, that format a dicey. doesn't matter for the Aces anymore this year. No. But, man, what a format. God, it's kind of stupid, but I kind of like it. I wanted Washington to win to Seattle had to go to Washington. Yeah. And, by the that way, happen. that one is ridiculous because you had D.C. against Seattle. Yeah. That is across the country. Right. And they're on Southwest for that. <laughs> I Are believe it Southwest? was Dallas. Was it Dallas last night who's who's um tweeted they were their flight got canceled? Their flight got canceled. One of the players tweeted uh tweeted to the commissioner, Hey, our flight got canceled. Can we get a charter? No. Absolutely no. not. Sleep in the it's hotel or sleep in the airport. Um yeah. hope to show up before the game is supposed to start. Otherwise you forfeit and lose. I will say the WNBA did give everybody two days off between games. In the just first in round. case, just Which, in case. By the way, my first thought when I saw that, I was like, two days off between every game. But then it was like, yeah, they'll probably have to sleep in an airport between yes. those games. So that's probably smart. Yeah. That's a good thing. Uh, so Connecticut has to go to New York. Is there a train that runs from Connecticut to New York so they can avoid canceled oh, yeah. flights? Do you yeah. think that? Do you think that's how they traveled? Yeah. I mean. That would I would say the train would probably be the best way to yes. travel. <laughs> is that a get? By the way, that might be against the WNBA CBA though, because the chartering thing is right. Like so you that can't was, take a train. I don't know. I was shocked to find you couldn't charter. Maybe it. Maybe there's something in the CBA that's like, well, there's no trains for every team to take for their game. Yeah. So. You know, the Aces can't take a train anywhere, so why should the Connecticut Sun be allowed to? I wouldn't surprise me after finding... I mean, the whole charter thing was ridiculous. MGM, when the Aces forfeited that game, what was that, three years ago? Right. MGM was reportedly ready to send no, a plane... No, they are ready to send a plane to, to pick them up. To go pick them up, and the WNBA was like, you cannot yeah. do that. And now the the Liberty, they they got fined because they chartered planes. They just did it anyways and got fined. A whole bunch of their owner got fined last year. So like, That's right. They did that. Yeah, they That's just right. did it. They That's were like, right. what are you going to do? Are you going to find me? Are you going right. to find us? Exactly. I'll pay that. Like, that's what it was. So I would I would not be stunned if we found if it's a out known train. that there's a CB, uh, clause in the CBA that says you cannot take a train to your game. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be stunned because the charter thing was in there. And I, they were like, well, the team's on the West Coast. There's no trains. So that'd be an un- the whole point is unfair advantage that some teams would charter and other teams would be on Southwest. But Whatever. Take the train. Build trains across the country. Then the WNBA can just travel by train <laughs> to all their games. It'll be more fun that way. Oh, the WNBA. The Aces are going to win the title. I'm convinced I now. Think so they're going to do it. I think they're going to win the title.